Right, before we begin then, let us all take this moment to remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be here, to be in the presence of the Noble Triple Gem, to listen to, understand and comprehend the path to our deliverance, the only path to salvation, the only destination that exists for one to free oneself from all suffering, the destination that we have always sought in our lives, not just this, but in many before. Down to pure merits, we have been fortunate enough to come across, reminding ourselves of this great encounter, our good fortune, as well as being grateful to our forefathers who have carried on this Dhamma, its lineage, right down through to us, and have made it available today to assimilate, understand and comprehend. Let us renew our oath, our pledge to ourselves that we are here for one reason and one reason alone, to free ourselves from suffering and to help others do so along the way. As we do so, let us also remind ourselves the infinite mercy, infinite compassion, loving kindness of the supremely enlightened one, the magnificent one, the fully awakened one, the blessed one. He is our teacher, our master, our guide, our father. Let us bring our hands together in veneration of the Supreme Buddha. Namo tasse bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasse Namo tasse bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasse Namo tasse bhagavato arahato Samma Sambuddhasa. Every day I find a myriad of reasons to be grateful for what I am today and for what I have today. Today I'm able to call myself a son, or at least a son-to-be, of the Buddha. That is what I have today. That is what I am today. But of course, fulfilling that path and coming here, I could not have done alone. You know how I'm always going on about parents and teachers, who have always been the guiding light for me to get here. And on every occasion, I get the opportunity to serve others and help others to achieve what I have been able to do so and what I'm trying to do so. I'm reminded of this. And in addition, 
to teachers and parents. All of you came to mind yesterday. Something very special happened. No, I didn't see any lights. I didn't start to levitate. No light rays emanating from my body, nothing of that sort. Just a very humbling experience. So before I mention that, I have an announcement to make. You know, we started this the way we get together here a long time ago at Sri Jalan Matiniyara. That's where it all started. And to this day, I'm very grateful to the most venerable sir who accommodated us and gave us all the opportunity to listen to the Dhamma and actually to help us take the Dhamma to areas, to cities where without a convenient location it would probably have been quite, quite a struggle. To this day you know the trek that you have to make to get here from Colombo and if you live in and around the area. So that was a fantastic opportunity for us to do our service, take the Dhamma, take the truth to many more people. And I think some of you are here today because of that. And then of course, COVID came. And then all of that had to stop. So we had to confine ourselves to the monastery. And you remember there was once a time when we had these sermons on Sundays. But then again we realized that that was still going to be an extra journey for you all. Wasn't it? You had to arrange separate transport to get here and so on. <clears throat> but of course you used to come on Saturday also. And then you started coming on Wednesday also. You kept coming until you became a pain in the neck for us. <laughs> I think there was a point where there used to be Wednesdays, Saturdays, Sundays, and then if you had an extra poya day in the week, you were here more than you were at home. We were beginning to wonder if you should start chasing people away. Go back. <laughs> so in the end, we decided that Saturday morning was when these programs were going to be, because it would save you a journey, save you a trip, save you some extra hassle. So time has moved on and people have been doing merits, apparently. Whose merits? And so we feel that it is time to do something about that. So the thought occurred to us that There are only a few of you who actually can make that journey here, particularly because perhaps the program done the second half of the day may only be relevant, perhaps because of language and so on, to a certain or a smaller group of people. But there may be many more out there to whom 
that part of the day might not be a lot of use right now because they're struggling with language and so on. And also the journey means that you have to set aside a whole Sunday, right? A whole Saturday even. There may be people who don't have the time, the luxury of time to set aside that much time in their schedules because you have a Monday to Friday, right? the rat race that you have to do, the prison that you're in, right? they let you out just for two days, don't they? Huh? <laughs> they let you out of prison for two days. So in those two days, you have lots of other things you need to be doing. Take your children out to the playground, go shopping, go swimming, do some badminton, stretch your legs, hmm? get some fresh air, go see your neighbors, go see your relations. And the list goes on and on and on. Get your car serviced, you know, and all that. Yeah, so I know what it feels like. Been there, done that, and bought the T-shirt. <laughs> and then I sold it. <laughs> and then apparently you bought it. <laughs> so, so the thought occurred to us that perhaps we can be doing more than what we are doing right now. To take the Dhamma to those who are still struggling to make that journey here for whatever reason. So with my teacher's permission and his good advice and guidance, we have decided to do a program on Sunday morning in Colombo. So this will continue as is on Saturday mornings. But we will have a separate program on Sunday morning. in the Colombo region, so that it is much more convenient, I hope and believe, for a lot of people who live in the urban areas to come along. Because I know there is a growing population of individuals who seek liberation, who seek salvation, and who are beginning to understand that, you know, just the daily churn is not really bringing them what they want. More money is not giving them the answers more opportunities is not giving them the answer bigger houses bigger land traveling abroad is not giving them the answers but they just keep on doing it hoping just keeping on hoping 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 that it'll happen someday one day but then you know age catches out and people are aging getting closer to the inevitable day and then they begin to realize oops Time has just flown by and nothing has really happened. It's all been a lot of work, but not really much gain. So I feel that we can't wait until they begin to realize all that, because then it's going to be too late for them. So there is something we can do to play it in advance. And that is when this idea occurred to us. And so from the 4th of June, which is when we have planned for the first program, which will be the day right after Posonpoe. So Posonpoe falls on a Saturday this time, and then the day right after, the new program will start. And all of us have been very fortunate enough to find a decent venue, which will be accessible to all, I believe, because it's right in the heart of Rajagiriya convenient access for most of you and 
actually, you are all right, you come here. Because you understand the value of this. You understand that making that journey is worthwhile. But there'll be those who still haven't been convinced enough. So we'll take it to them so that eventually they learn and realize maybe going to the Buddha is also beneficial rather than waiting for the Buddha to come to us. So, of course, they will not be able to engage in all the meritorious deeds that you do when you get here, like Dakinayo and so on, but maybe that will all come in due course. So from the 4th of June, you can bring along people who, will, who may be interested in the Buddha Dhamma. And you know that we take a very pragmatic approach in our talks. So we are not in the belief of sort of... Uh, so we don't go there to proselytize or convert anyone to any particular religion. That's not our task. Our effort is to explain the science behind the Dhamma, which is why many people have found this quite appealing. And certainly, I myself for one. I was not a big believer in the Buddha until I listened to his Dhamma. <laughs> so let's put it that way. I think that says it all, doesn't it? I was a Buddhist by birth, right? Because my parents said that I was one. But until I listened to the Dhamma, I was not a big fan of his. And then, now, you can't take me away from him. <laughs> so that's how things work. And so the location was going to be Gateway College in Rajagiriya. They have offered us the opportunity to make use of their auditorium. And of course, there's going to be ample parking and all for free. And so I invite you as well as anyone who you believe might be interested. So it could just be even people who will come for the day. That's all right. Now, naturally, I'll have to start from the beginning, which may be useful for most of you, in fact. And I believe that we may have sometimes children as well as adults. And let's play it by ear. So as we go along, if we see that actually there's a equally large number of children and adults, we might later on decide to split and do two sessions so I think we can leave all that to time and see how it works out. But initially, this is going to happen from the 4th of June. So there's the announcement and you're all welcome. You don't have to be there, obviously, because you have this, right? But there'll be a lot of people known to you, maybe friends, maybe colleagues, hmm? maybe people who'll be visiting Sri Lanka just for a week. Perhaps, you know, they, it was their merits that brought them down here. You know, we are known for our hospitality, as you know. Right? We are known for our hoppers and our string hoppers uh, and, our, and our kiribat and so on. But that is not what we were used to be known for. We were known for what we have to offer the entire world and the worlds beyond this. We were known for our philosophy. We were known for our great people who committed their lives to freeing themselves to happiness but then it all changed somewhere along the line so that is what we were known for we were known for prosperity 
But now is not the time to go back and find out what went wrong. It's, that's not the topic of our talk today. So I ask you to inform this to your people who might be interested and uh, bring them along so that they may benefit. So the setup will be very similar. I will make it very interesting as best as I can and engaging. Maybe they'll not start playing with building blocks just at the beginning. So, uh, but you know, all good things will come to those who wait. <laughs> so please mark the date in your diaries. Not necessarily for you, because of course you've come a long way on this journey. Perhaps for some of you, maybe going back right to the basics might be not necessary, but there may be those who might benefit from that. And there you go. So, what happened yesterday? So yesterday we we went on we went to visit the place to make sure it was suitable for our purpose. And then after that we stopped for a spot of lunch. So you know those who know me and our type, whatever that type might be. Whenever we get the opportunity to stop for a spot of lunch and I have my arms bowl with me, you know where that ends. So it happened to be that we ended up in Obesekarapur. So I asked the kind gentleman who was driving us, Sir, take us where people need us. Take us where people have little. Take us where people need our assistance, where people need merits, where people have little to give. Maybe all they have is their daily sustenance. Maybe, the, maybe where they have the only meal that they're going to have for the day. Take us there. And so, our channa in our kantaka, took us there. So we got off and myself and one of the monk who went on the trip with me took our arms bowl in hand and thanking the Buddha, thanking my teachers for giving me this opportunity to be of service to humanity. We went on that arms route. And on that occasion, I was reminded of all of you how you have all made that part of my life an optional item. I love doing that because it helps me to be of service to many people. But of course, all of you who visit us, who look after the Mahasangha, who work hard to ensure that the Mahasangha is able to focus on their practice. You make that an optional item in our lives. You know, when we come down for arms, like we will be doing later on today and every other day, you know, I've never been in any doubt as to whether I will have anything for lunch today. 
because you don't allow me to experience that. When I take my arms bowl in the afternoon, when you remind us that it's time, then as we come down and walk towards the Dhamma Hall, I've never been in any doubt. Will I today? How far will I have to go today? Never. Ever since I ordained, except for one or two occasions where we went on arms round, I've never been in that situation. So you have deprived me of that privilege that our forefathers experienced. I was reminded of the great elder Mahakasapa, who went looking for poor people, beggars, people who had very little. And it made me very happy that I could, at least in going on an arms round, follow in his footsteps. Maybe not match him in his, in his greatness, but at least go on an arms round. So we went along those narrow paths, a lot of shanty homes there. If any of you ventured that way, you will know what I mean. There were a few people who looked Buddhists, but I think the majority of them were Muslims. And uh, at least that's what I saw. I was only looking at the ground, but a lot of them were there. And then, I mean, I always tell you, right, to me, there are no Muslims and Christians and Buddhists and Hindus. There are just minds that need merit so that they can go on to achieve salvation. That's all. So the first few homes that we went to, there wasn't anyone there. And then we turned around to make a turn and go down another alleyway. And then we stopped at one home where we could hear some children playing around inside. And so this is the first home that offered us anything. Two or three women were inside and there was one gentleman and so some really young children. And so they saw the Swami say, I don't think they'd ever seen one before. Certainly not in that way. And so he called his mother and the mother came out. And the first thing she said was, Swami Nansa, we are really sorry, but we don't have anything to offer you today. And then these little children, you know what they did? They went back inside and they brought out these little bags of some food items that they had been offered from the nursery. So they were that, that small, that young. So that's all they had, this brother and sister. They brought this out, this bag. In there they had a sandwich one cutlet and one banana tied up in a bag, little bag. So that's what they had to eat that day. So the mother was quite happy that she, they'd done that. And she said, ah, Uta, let's offer this to Swami Nahansi. So I said, madam, how about we let the child do it? So she complied. The children took, hold, took the bags, they came forward. And you should have seen the little one. <laughs> the little one. He walked up to the Swami Nuhansi 
And as the Swami Nase opened the, uh, the, the, the lid of the arms bowl and held it to the child, he opens the bag, takes a sandwich, looks at the sandwich, looks at the arms bowl, <laughs> looks at the mother, and then the Swami Nase, and then back at the sandwich. And then he places the sandwich in the arms bowl. I'm telling you what happened, you can imagine what's going on in this child's mind. Then the sister, she goes to the Swami Nase behind me and does similar, but I'm looking at this child, so don't know what's going on behind me. Then again, in went the hand again to the bag and out came the cutlet. <laughs> Tiny little things. <laughs> you know all about them, right? Tiny little things. So again, one look at the cutlet and the arms both. <laughs> the mother and the Swami Nuanse back at the cutlet. I don't know whether the child felt that he had no choice or he was really wondering what, you know, what struck me today? What the hell is going on? Do I, don't I, do I, don't I? But in the end, again, the cutlet went into the arms bowl and the banana followed soon after. So whatever they had to eat that day, that must have been their lunch, and I'm sure about that. Poor people, they don't have much. That was offered to the Swami Nuhanse and the Swami Nuhanse behind. So both children, both this tall, boy and girl, that was the first offering that we received on that arms round. So we transferred merits to them as briefly as we can while we are on an arms round, and then we carried on. So then we went walking and in some homes people were far too busy to notice. In other homes people were quarreling and we thought best we proceed. Maybe today's not the day, maybe another time. You can imagine, right? Just imagine the, the situation, the environment. Right? And then another home, there were some people, they said, Swami Nansa, we haven't finished cooking yet. We are sorry, we didn't expect this. An overwhelming number of people brought with them, brought some money, because that has become a norm now, apparently. So a lot of them brought some money. And of course, to which I said, sorry, please kindly offer anything that we might consume for lunch, for the dhani. And some, some had things they could offer, others didn't. There were several homes where people came out and said, Swami Nansa, we don't have lunch today. As in, they actually don't have lunch. So they maybe have only one or two meals that day. So they, they stay hungry. They're used to it. Maybe a cup of tea is all they have. Some homes they had, when they said they had nothing, we said, might you have some sugar? Just a teaspoon of sugar, perhaps? So they went and brought that and they will again, just like as the child did where we first stopped here, grown up men with a bag of sugar in their hand and a spoon looks at the sugar, looks at the arms bowl you want me to, you want me to put this in that? because of course there was some rice in there at that point the sandwich and the banana and the cutlet and some one gentleman had offered some yogurt so the, this in that? I said Go ahead. So 
perhaps reluctantly, but quite happily, they made that offering as well. And something also nice happened. So there was, as we continued, we almost got lost. If you've ever been that way, make sure you take your GPS with you. <laughs> because there are so many very uh, narrow alley, alleyways. Right? And I, I was surprised that there were so many homes in such a small area. You know, just live very small shanties. And I think in this space that we have here, you could, they could probably fit like at least six or seven homes. That's how, that was the size of, of their dwellings. Um, they live very rough. And I mean, that is exactly why I wanted to go there. So there was this one man who looked a bit shabby on the, uh, the outside. It was his appearance. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I realized that he was disabled as well. But not in a wheelchair, but he had some form of disability about him. And he had nothing to offer. But you know what he did? He escorted us right from where he found us till the end of the arms round. And he was like the town crier. Swami Nuhansesa are here, Swami Nuhansesa are here. <laughs> Bring out and offer what you have. And he goes knocking from door to door. Swami Nuhansesa are here, Swami Nuhansesa are here. <laughs> and he says, this is real Swami Nuhansesa. <laughs> I was beginning to get worried slightly. I said, shh, shh, shh. <laughs> so, he didn't have anything to offer, but he had everything to offer. In fact, he might have been the reason why after about 15 or 16 homes, our arms poles were up to the top, full. So he paved the way for many, many people to earn a tremendous amount of merits, although he had nothing to offer. And you could see, you should, you could, you could, have, you should have seen the smile on his face. He, his face wasn't big enough to contain that smile and the love that he had on him. He was, you know, climbing over walls, you know, just informing people if they wouldn't open the doors because he knocked, they would climb over the wall. <laughs> so you can imagine he was a bit eccentric, but he he really wanted to make sure that you know people got the chance to do that. And sometimes, of course, you know, people were preparing, getting their money, and he said, no, 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 these swaminas they don't take money. Go away, go away. Don't, take, don't bring money here. Uh, bring something food, bring some food, and so on. Some people are saying, but we've already eaten. It's all right, it's all right. Bring whatever you have. So he really wanted, he went that extra mile, literally. He went the extra mile with us and gave everyone the chance to engage in that meritorious deed. So, you know, I at that moment realized if you'd been there to witness that, I was sure, you know, you would be over the moon. Just what you have been able to build here, you know, what you have been able to make here, you know, you've made, you've made me. You helped me become who I am today, in whatever way you can. You came here for the sermons, which made me do the sermons. You asked the questions which made me come up with the answers, which made me go to my teacher 
and find out those answers. You came here asking for help, which made me have to give that help. So in doing that, I developed myself. I went from, I went from success to success on the spiritual journey. And you kept me healthy, so I'm fit enough to go on an arms round. You've given me this robe and the arms bowl. So there was an Anagarika Mahatya with me. And I was thinking to myself, you know, if he went and asked for anything, probably would have gotten more, not more than a frown and said, go away, we don't have anything for you. But the very fact that I had a robe on me and an arms round gifted to me by, my, by the Buddha was a license for me to go out and beg so that people could offer whatever little they had. Because I was reminded of Anuruddha Thero and how that offering of one spoonful of rice helped individuals to free themselves from suffering, at least temporarily, and go on to goodness and then on to greatness. So, you know, that's why I said that yesterday reminded me of all of you, because although I was there physically in person, we were all there in heart and mind. That was all of us there. We were able to do that to many people there, from young children to adults, people who had very little, people who lived a very rough life, and for people who might have thought, as they did on one occasion, um, someone came and offered something, I think uh, a few biscuits, and then it looked like there were no more homes from there on because those streets were so narrow, you couldn't imagine that, you know, that leads you anywhere. So I said, there aren't any more homes this way, right, sir? And gentleman said, no, there are, because he was one of the locals there. He said, there are, but they're very small homes. They don't have anything to offer. I said, excellent. Let's carry on. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for making me who I am today. As my teachers and my parents have done, you have also all been there to give us the strength and the courage and everything. And of course, you know, I remind myself, you know, seldom do I have to walk down an alleyway wondering what might happen. Will I get enough today? Will someone attack me? Because every other day, all I have to do is pick my arms bowl up and there's never a shadow of a doubt that lunch will be waiting <laughs> because you have stolen from me <laughs> that privilege of being unsure of whether any lunch would be available today. So thank you for that as well. And when I returned, I went and spoke to Guru Handru. And I said, Guru Handru, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to do that. And then he asked me, what were the highlights? So I briefly explained to him what I've just shared with you. And then I said, Guru Handru, there was one other thing, which I thought was the best thing. I said, Guru Andhru, none of them knew me. Now take what lesson you can from this. None of them knew me. To them, I was not that Swami Nuhanse or this Swami Nuhanse. To them, I was just the Mahasangha. So they didn't treat me 
with any in any way in any special way no special treatment no special veneration no extra bowing no extra worshiping nothing like that to them i was just a member of the mahasangha to them i reminded of the great elder sariputta so i said guruhanro isn't that just wonderful that people who know little about us earn more merits from us isn't that just <laughs> wonderful isn't that just amazing so i want all of you to be the same often i have reminded you because this is a this is a pit that you can easily fall into when you offer anything don't think you're offering to that swami nuhanse this swami nuhanse don't think that that swami nuhanse is more virtuous than another swami nuhanse because we it's not something that we can ever gauge you can't read another person's mind or how virtuous how kind how gentle they are you know there may be a swami nuhanse who goes around calling people vasalaya 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 and you might think oh that swami nuhanse is a bit rough he can't have practiced the path or have attained any noble states and you might perhaps refrain from offering him anything whereas another swami nuhanse who just looks at the ground arms bowl in hand maybe me and you will offer anything you were prepared to offer him to me oh what a loss because the former would be a maharatan nuhanse and the latter would simply be someone like me so whenever you make an offering whatever it might be this afternoon you may be making offerings whether it's a needle or an atapirikada a bar of soap or a robe matters not when you serve food as a swami nuhanse has come on pindapatha right never offer it to that swami nuhanse this swami nuhanse in fact if you could close your eyes and make that offering so you don't know who stood in front of you just make sure you're putting it into the arms bowl <laughs> so of course i don't mean literally right but what i mean I, i want you to get take away from this a lesson from them you know whoever thought right those residents there could teach us a lesson so they gave me that lesson which i'm sharing with you today whenever you make an offering never assume that one swami nuhanse is better than the other who is more virtuous he is more kind more generous must be more spiritually developed just because a swami nuhanse sat down in a meditation pose doesn't mean that he is better than a swami nuhanse who travels around the country doing social service that is not for us to judge is it it's not for me to judge you is it because i don't know your story i don't know your ins and outs i don't know why you do the things you have to do I don't know your intention because I can't read your mind. So likewise, there's an important lesson for us to take from that. A lesson that they taught you. So you've given them something which was me. And they've given you something which is the lesson that they gave me. So mutually everyone has benefited from that arms round. Now, so as I retired after I returned and asked, I spoke to Guruhandro, I said, "Guruhandro, You know every Sunday <laughs> You know like Sundays yeah <laughs> You know like I have to go to Rajagiri yeah <laughs> He was like yes <laughs> I see where you're going at <laughs> what you're coming at So I said you know if you wouldn't mind Guruhan because of course you know I always check with my teacher I never do anything without asking him even at the age 80 hmm? 
If my teacher is there with me, I would not lift a finger that he has not instructed me to do. Because I know every success in my life, all the way I've come here, is because of the instructions I have received from my teachers. If you want to know what obedience is, I will say humbly, come and watch me. And I don't mean this, you know, in a... Uh, in an obstinate way or anything. I mean it very, very humbly. I, I, I have learned that is a virtue. It is what has helped me to get where I, where I am today. Being obedient to your teachers and doing just as they say, doing what they say to do, doing, not doing what they say not to do. Sometimes you may not understand why they say so. You can ask them, Sir, could you please explain to me? But if they say, no, it's not the time to explain. Just do it. Or just don't do it. If you have considered them, if you have accepted and acknowledged them to be your teacher, then you do as they say. Teachers here will know what I mean. And those who have been good students here will know what I mean. They're there to guide you. They're there to take the risks for you. Hmm? How many people are there who, who are willing to take risks on your behalf? Your parents did. Then your teachers did. When they say, go do it. I'll watch out for you. If anything happens, come back and tell me. No, that's a, that's a teacher. They take risks for you. You have no idea, you know, ladies and gentlemen, how on many occasions as someone who Guru Hamdra has entrusted to make decisions on behalf of the monastery, 250 lives, simply people who live here, and all of you, right, people who come here, as well as people who join us from abroad. I think we are looking at tens of thousands of people. Sometimes I am in this, in this position where I have to make decisions which will impact literally everyone who are connected with us. The relief that it gives me that I always have someone to go and ask if I'm making the right decision. Oh my God. I wouldn't swap anything in this world for that. I can live with such a light heart without a burden on my shoulders and go to sleep at night without a worry of whether I've made the wrong decision, whether I've made the wrong choice, if what I've done is going to cause someone harm. I don't have to carry that burden with me because all I've got to do is go ask the oracle. He doesn't have anyone to ask, at least at this monastery. So can you imagine the pressure that it might bring someone who's not practiced the path at least the burden of the responsibility that it must bring. I don't have to carry that. So I've asked him many times by now, Sir, please, don't pass away before I do. <laughs> the one thing I ask you, don't pass away before I do, because I need a teacher, and even when I pull in my last breath, I need your permission to exhale. So please be there, even on that last day. He loves. So, I asked Guru Handru, would you permit me to go on arms every Sunday? And he said, as you wish. Now, I know what you are like. <laughs> no, we are not going to publish the routes that I'm going to take. <laughs> and no, I'm not going to accept any personal invitations. Let merit decide. Where they shall have a Swami Nuhanse going on an arms round. Let merit decide. So maybe I'll be here, maybe I'll be there, maybe I'll be somewhere else. If you are there, so be it. 
If you are not there, then still you can rejoice. Look at the benefit, that. look at the goodness that has come to somebody else and rejoice. Because if you can think of yourself as a mother to all children, if you can think of yourself as a mother to everyone, every man, woman and child, as you would love your own child if you can learn to love every human being, then it is your child who is benefiting. Matters not where they are. Matters not whether they are connected to you, a relation of yours, whether they are your your brother or your sister, does it? So just be happy. As I'm sure you are. As I'm sure you are. So, you know, from here on, every Sunday, after the sermon, you know, as after we leave the place, we will be somewhere on an arms round. And you can rejoice in that. So you know that's what's happening. Hmm? So I don't know where I'm going to be. In fact, I might just ask the driver, whoever the Anagarika Mahathe is who comes with us, you know, take us somewhere, just take us somewhere. Go and take us where people need us. That's basically all I'll be saying. Take us where people need us. You know, you guys, you know, you, you are all so fortunate. Look at all the things you have, ladies and gentlemen. Just look at all the things you have. Look at all the success you've been able to enjoy in life. The prosperity that you've been able to enjoy in life. The treasures and the pleasures that you have in life. You know, you know why you have all this? You know why you have all this? Because you were once in that situation and you gave what little you had. You gave with all your heart. Perhaps you were once there and maybe a Swami Nuhansi, maybe some other cleric, maybe some other member of the clergy right, came with an arms bowl, maybe a beggar came gave, asking for a bit of food right? and that is all you had for that day but you offered it wholeheartedly. That is why you are where you are today. This is all you're making. You know, just think for a moment about the home that you live in. And now compare that with the home that I went to yesterday. Six homes can fit in this in this in the space that we have here. Six at least. Can you imagine that? Your house is probably three, four, five, six times bigger than this. It is because you gave. That is why you've got today. So, you've given other people the light of wisdom. That is why today you receive the light of wisdom. You guided people. That is why you are guided today. You help people. That is why you are being helped today. See, anything we have gotten in life is because we've given it away. Simple as. That is a universal truth. And you know this. What you give is what you get. Give and you shall get. So, here... Something you can give again. Give them the opportunity to give. How about that? Give them the opportunity to give. That is why when we have, you know, on boy days and, I, and every, every Dakineyo event, remember, I always say, you know, there are individuals who've got the red lanyard and do try and give them the priority when, they, when it comes to engaging merits. Because, you know, in fact, they might not know that you are the people who are giving up more than they are. You can give without holding it. Because you have come very far in the Dhamma. Today you can give without holding it in your hand. Because you know that giving is a mental process. It's an attitude. 
Today you can be happy just looking at someone engaging in a meritorious deed. You can be happy seeing someone else coming and offer this to the Swami Nansi. It doesn't have to be you. Of course, you're beginning to realize that there is no me in the first place. Huh? Then, then, then what, what more to be said about me having to offer it? Nothing of that sort. Goodness happens in this world. Good happens in this world. Let's all rejoice. Doesn't have to be the good that I do. Doesn't have to be the good that you do. Or doesn't have to be the good that somebody else does. It's not anybody doing good. It's just good happens. Much like bad happens. Bad happens, good happens. What we strive for is more good. Does it have to be from anyone in particular? No, we just need good. Is it just the Buddhists who have to do good things? Is it just the people who are the affluent people who have to do the good things? People who have something? No, of course not. So you are here today because you were once in that situation and someone let you give. You see the point? Yeah? Someone else let you give. You know, like when, you, when your children are about you, right? And you have something to offer, you give it to the child and say, Puta, go and offer it to Swami Nuhansi. I've seen that happen a lot of times. When parents come with the pirikara, you know, after they have the arms round, sometimes the parent will give it to the child and say, Puta, offer it. Because the parent is mature enough to just observe that and say, Sadhu, Sadhu, rejoice it in their own mind. But the child might not be able to do that just yet. So the child needs to hold it in its hand and then offer it. And the child needs to feel that the Swami Nuhansi is giving them the blessings personally. If I, if I say, Supateva, are you all not able to rejoice in that? Of course you are, because you are mature enough to do that now. But there are people who are, who are not capable of that yet. So why am I sharing this story with you? Because I want you all to understand that we are all doing this together. It is not this Swami Nuhansi going on an arms round. It's all of us being of service to innocent people, poor people. I mean, I think in some of those areas, you know, there's drugs is a problem and so on. You know, again, people need help. I've told you time and time again, bring me a drug addict, I don't care. Bring me a homosexual, a heterosexual, bring me a black man, a white man, a Muslim or a Hindu, I don't care. At the end of the day, right, we're all God's children. Yeah, so as God loves all the same, we love all the same. So, rejoice in that event that had took place yesterday and provided time permits, of course, we will carry on doing that every Sunday after the sermon at, at, the, at the school. And I think if we can leave by about just before 11, that will give us enough time to go on an arms round and do all that before, before noon. Happy with that? As you should be. See, when you're here, you know, now you can offer arms to 115 Swami Nuhansis. Those people don't get that chance. They only have two Swami Nuhansis, maybe three at most. In fact, if 115 Swami Nuhansis went there, <laughs> you know, they'd have to close the place down. So, <clears throat> I was waiting to come and tell you all about it, about what we all did together as one team. Thank you all for that. Right, onwards and upwards.
What did we talk about last week? We will rock you. Was that the week before? I want to make sure that you understand exactly what Nibbana is. Exactly what Nibbana is. Because sometimes I find that some individuals, not necessarily anyone in this room, they struggle for Nibbana. They fight for Nibbana. They want to make Nibbana happen. Nibbana is not something you can make happen. It's not something you can fight or have put up a struggle for. It's just something that you can, you just need to let happen. Now, you know, when Guru Hamdrav speaks to you, right, when we talk to you in sermons, of course, you know, you see yourselves mostly living a lay life for the time being, perhaps for the time being, for the time being. You know, Silas Ravikas and so on. People ask you for Silas Ravikas also. God, where does he stop? Go home. Get lost. Uh, right. So, with, you know, with all that going on, um, you know, we will often ask you and talk to you and remind you, you know, do this, right, with earnestness, right, be heedful, right, get your finger out, you just, you know, just work on it, work at it, right, make sure you're, you're, you're working hard and striving for it. I need you to understand exactly what we mean by that. It does not entail, this is a funny thing, because, you know, it's, it's, it's a paradox, really. Nibbana is not something that you can do, but it's not something you can do by not doing anything either. It's like crossing a stream. If you want to get, get across, you can't just be there doing nothing, because then you will just flow with the stream, and you can't, stream, you can't swim upwards either, because you, you, know, you, can't, you can't go against the, the gush of water. You can't do that. You have to swim across to get to the other side if you want to get across this, the, the, the stream. Nibbana is like that. It, it's like nothing you've done before. That's the thing. That's why this is so different. A different approach. A different strategy. A very different strategy to anything else. You know, anything else in life, ladies and gentlemen, if ever you wanted it, you knew that if you took action, you would get it, right? You looked for the causes that needed to come together so that you would achieve it. Let's take, for example... If you want to, say, bake a cake, you can find a recipe book for that. You can go find the ingredients for that. Right? And then you know you'll need to add flour, you'll need to add some water, you'll need to add some raising, raising flour? Raising what? Agent? Yeah, maybe some yeast. Do you add yeast to cake? Baking powder, thank you. See how much I know about cooking. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks to you, I've forgotten all that. And uh, so you need to find an oven, maybe, right? And you have to, if you want to do some icing, you need to go and find this, the stuff for that, the icing sugar for that, right? Whatever, right? So you need to find these ingredients and you need to bring it in the right order, in the right fashion. You need to bring these ingredients in, in the right quantities, right? And in, in the right arrangement. So it almost feels like if baking or making a cake is like that, making Nibbana must be similar. You got to go and find all the right ingredients and bring it together. So people feel that what are they, they begin to wonder what are the right ingredients for nibbana? 
then they go listening to talks, sermons, you know, read newspapers or maybe magazines, whatever. And they think, so I need to do this amount of meditation. I need to do this many Buddha pujas. I need to do, I need to listen to this many sermons. And I need to uh, give away this much and, you know, observe still this many times in the year. And then once all that happens, I will have attained Nibbana. Yes and no. At the same time, that's the thing. Nibbana is not something you can go and get. Nibbana is something that happens to you. You know, we always, I, I always go on about this. Letting go is not something you have to do. It's something that you just have to let happen. It's not something you can do. You know, you, you can't let go of anything like that. It's it, unlike when you got hold of something, right? Letting go is not something that you can do. It's just something you need to let happen. And Nibbana is the same. I, I really need you all to understand this. Because it's not just you. Sometimes Anagarika Mahatyas, right? Even Swami says. If they're new to the rope and, you know, they, they want to attain Nibbana, sometimes, you know, they'll hear Guru Handru give a talk about something and he'll talk to us about being, you know, very earnest and energetic about this and enthusiastic about this. And sometimes, you know, they're like, I don't want arms, I don't want to sleep, I don't want to do anything, I just want to go and attain Nibbana. And Swami Nansa, no, 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 that's not what Guru Handru meant. And you, you, you can admire the, the enthusiasm they have for that, but that's not Nibbana. Nibbana is everywhere. If Nibbana is everywhere, where must you go to get it? That's the wrong question to ask, isn't it? If there is air everywhere, where must you go to breathe? It's the wrong question to ask. Nibbana is not something you can achieve by doing something. Now, don't get this the wrong way. I'm, I'm trying to explain to you exactly what I mean. Because you can't do it by not doing anything either. That is why I said it's a paradox. You got to both do and not do at the same time. Here's what you need to do. The Noble Eightfold Path. Then you'll ask me, how do you do it, Swaminas? How do you do the Noble Eightfold Path? Now here's the thing. The Noble Eightfold Path is not something that you do. It's something that happens. It's like if you ask me, Swaminas, what do I need to do to refrain from false speech? Hmm? What do I actually need to do to refrain from false speech? Is the answer, tell the truth? What do you think? You're asking me a question. What should I do to refrain from false speech? If I tell you, tell the truth as the answer. If I give you, tell the truth as the answer. Do you think that's the right answer? No. Because telling the truth is not the same as refraining from false speech. You see, if I told you, don't steal, that doesn't mean give. And that doesn't mean return what you've taken either. If I said, don't kill, that doesn't mean, you know, go and start herding a cattle or something. Rearing cattle. That's not what it means. I just said, don't do something means it, there's no, well, what do you have to do then? That's not there. See, no, the Noble Eightfold Path starts with Samma Ditti. Then you have Samma Sankappa. Then you have Samma Vacha, Samma Kammanta, Samma Ajiva and so on, right? 
Take Samma Vacha for instance. Musavada Veramani. Parusavacha Veramani. Samprapalapa Veramani. Pisunavacha Veramani. What is Veramani? Some kind of money. Hmm? No. Veramani is to refrain, to abstain. Okay? Even when you observe the precepts. Right? Today you observe the precepts. The first precept is Panadipata Veramani Sikkapadang Samadhyam. There is nothing to do there, really, is there? You can just be sat like that and be evidently observing all precepts. See, if I, if I precepted you right now with the 227 precepts that we have to adhere to as Buddhist monks, high ordained monks, you know, you're, you're doing just fine as you are. Without lifting a finger, you can be observing all of them. In fact, if I precepted you with 100,000 precepts, and if they were all aligned to Nibbana, you could be doing it just as you are, without lifting a finger, because there is nothing to do. What there is, is what is not to do. I'm, I'm highlighting this point and I'm, I'm emphasizing this point because I want you to understand why it is so. The Buddha laid down the rules of conduct, the precepts and so on, for one thing and one thing alone. That was for Nibbana either directly or indirectly, to pave the path for that. Nibbana is not something you do. That's why the, in the precepts you are not going to find anything you have to do. Nibbana is what doesn't happen. Right? Hang in there with me, I'll explain to you what I mean by this. Nibbana is what doesn't happen. Therefore, in the precepts, there's all things that don't happen. Panatipata veramani. I observe the precept to refrain from taking another life. I observe the precept to refrain from stealing. See? I observe the precept to refrain from engaging in sensual misconduct, lying, and so on. So, you know, any, 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 any person who's new to Buddhism might actually come and ask, alright, fine, I've observed the five precepts, now what do I do? <laughs> it's a fair question, isn't it? Imagine someone from another religion, you take them to a monk, you say, right, sit down, he wants to be a Buddhist. Okay, so the monk gives him Buddha-sansarana, Dhamma-sansarana, Now you've taken homage in the Noble Triple Gem. <coughs> Even that is still the same. Buddha-sansarana, Dhamma-sansarana, Again, you know, it's what you're not doing. And then you go into the precepts. Again, it's what you're not doing. So it'll be a fair question to ask, okay, now what do I do? If you've done something, or if you think that you have to do something, you haven't really taken refuge at the end of that. If you're asking the question, what do I have to do now, now that I've observed the precepts, do I have to meditate now? No, that's, that's the wrong question to ask. Where does it say, bhavana karanam kachami? No. So what is meditation then? Is it something you do? I, I've asked you in the, in the past though, make sure you do your 15 minutes. Wait a second then. Swaminanda says do the meditation 15 minutes and now he says there's nothing to do. Make your mind up, Swaminanda. What, what do you expect us to do? <coughs> so is meditation something you have to do? At the monastery, <coughs> excuse me, 
Guru Handro has uh, expects all of us to do at least 40 hours per week. So we have to be in the Valley Malua for at least 40 hours. So again you'll ask the question, ah, see, so there's something you have to do in the Valley Malua. See, we don't have a Valley Malua at home, that's why we can't attain Ibban. Nice excuse. No. In fact, when you go to the Valley Malua, there is nothing you have to do. See if you can understand what I'm trying to explain to you here. The Valley Malua is hopefully the only place where you are doing nothing. Everywhere else, metaphorically, okay? Everywhere else, if, you are, if your mind is untrained, then the Valley Malua is perhaps the only place where you are doing nothing. But I'm meditating. Then again you are doing something. Stop. Remember the sound of silence? Huh? Nibbana is not something you do. It's what happens when you stop doing something else. Let me explain to you. How is an arahant born? Just like that. Hmm? How to make an arahant? Just like that. Why do I say so? Exactly. The question comes down to what is an arahant? If that's where all of you want to be, and if that's where your destination is, that's where you've set your destination, all of you, we'd better understand what an arahant is. Otherwise, we'll end up becoming someone that's not an arahant. That's the worst kind. Someone who's not an arahant but who believes he is one, big problem. One for them and for everybody else. What is an arahant? An arahant is just a mind. It's just, this is where an arahant lives. He doesn't live in a kuti. He doesn't live in a cave. He doesn't live under a tree. He doesn't live in a temple or a monastery. An arahant lives here. Where? In the mind. This is inside all of you. What you are doing every moment, in every chitta, is you are suppressing that arahant. You are smothering that arahant. You are suppressing the arahant, you are killing the arahant every moment. That is what's happening. Because of something else. That is what we call ignorance. I'm trying to explain this to you because you're all arahants to begin with. And then you do something. And in the process of doing that, that arahant is lost. So actually, 8 billion arahants live in this world. Hmm? Now we're talking about Laksaganang Rahatan Mahasala. 8 billion live in this world. <laughs> but 8 billion arahants are murdered. Every second. I'm talking, I'm, going to, I'm talking to you about that, that sad story. How arahanticide happens. <laughs> so here's a thought, a thought moment of mind. When the eye comes into contact with a sight, 
This is a Rupa. Okay. As much as this is a Rupa. Do you think this is an Arahant? What do you think? Is this an Arahant? No? Why not? It's not? It's not a mind. Yes, I understand why you say that. I argue that this is 20% Arahant. This is 20% Arahant. Why? What is the mind? If it's the total of that, that amounts to 100, hmm? then this is one-fifth of it, isn't it? So, I, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you one-fifth of an arahant. Bring me five pence and I'll show you an arahant. <laughs> but it doesn't work like that. Because you can't have rupa, 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 rupa. <laughs> huh? An arahant lives in the mind. Do you have a mind? Well, then Arahant lives with all of you. I'm here to help you surface that Arahant. I am not going to give you an Arahant because an Arahant lives inside all of you. I think that is the best news that we can all have. We're not trying to find something that we don't have. We are trying to find something that we have lost. If, you've if you're trying to find something you don't have, you're never going to find it, are you? But if you're only trying to find something you've lost, because it belongs to you, you can find it. It's like rust on an iron. The iron is always there. You just need to do away the rust and the iron is there. Now this might sound very simple, but what I'm trying to explain to you might, might sound very simple. But in that simplicity, people take it the wrong way. Because we human beings, we are very good at making complex, very simple things. We like confounded things. We like complex things. So we, 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 do, we can't settle with simplicity. So I want you to catch yourself out in the event, in, in case you find yourself trying to over-complicate Nibbana. It doesn't have to be. You know, you, you, are, you are so full of merits. And I need you to understand that let those merits do what it needs to do. Your being here and you listening to these sermons, you know, two or three weeks ago, I would have said knowledge put into action is power. So just understanding this is not going to be enough. You need to put it into action. Then you come and ask, you might ask me at the end of this sermon, but Swami Nuhansa, you said that that day. Today you are saying there's nothing we need to do. Make your mind up. I'm trying to help you understand that I mean the same thing when I say both things. Knowledge put into action is power. Yes. And you have to contemplate on the Dhamma. The Dhamma is the truth. Which one's harder to believe? A lie or the truth? Which one is harder to believe? The, the truth? No, a lie is harder to believe. Because, you know, that, is, it, is that not why when you lie to someone, you have to make up many more lies to cover that lie? Yeah, one leads to the other, leads to the other, leads to the other. As people say, you know, you've lied once, you've lied a hundred times. Yeah, a hundred lies you need to cover up one lie. But what about the truth? You, the truth stands up on its own. You don't have to support the truth. The truth is the truth. You don't need evidence to support the truth. The truth is the truth. So, 
the Dhamma is the truth. But we have a tendency to overcomplicate things and we try, we try to do Nibbana. I'm asking you not to do Nibbana. Let Nibbana happen. So what should you do then? What you need to do is be here. Let the Dhamma work its magic and there'll come a point where you begin to see the world through that lens. And then when you have problems in life, when, there's, when you're angry, when you feel lustful, when you feel lazy, when you feel you've lost all the energy to do something, when you feel egotistical, when you feel that you are being undermined or that you are being sat on a, uh, you know, uh, maybe uh, on a pedestal, right? And you are treated unfairly perhaps or with more regard than is due. In each of these situations, let the Dhamma work its magic. All I'm asking you to do is contemplate on the truth and don't do anything else. Now see if you can do that. Contemplate on the truth and don't do anything else. The Noble Eightfold Path starts with Samaditi, the rest happens. Samma Sankapa happens, you don't have to do it. Nekkama Sankapana, Avyapada Sankapana, Avihinsa Sankapana. Okay? These things happen. Why, you know, how does, how does Samma Sankapana, sorry, how does uh, Kama Sankapana happen? These are thoughts based in sensuality. Why do they happen? Why do you think they happen? Yes, because of ignorance. When you believe that someone has done something wrong to you or someone's doing something good to you, like we discussed and talked about the other day, you know, we took that thing that we built, right? And then you, 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 you attached your personality to it and you gave it to somebody else. And when they started to pat it, you felt good. When, when they started to break it apart, you felt bad. You, you went through that experience, right? So when you feel that someone is trying to do something against you, Something is trying to go, go against you. Someone is trying to do you harm. You can't help the feeling of vyapada or this, this anger arising in your mind. Because it's not your doing. It is something that happens because of your drushti. Your views determine the thoughts that happen in your mind. You can't control that. You know, one of the most important things you need to do in your path to attaining Nibbana, ladies and gentlemen, is to, is to realize this. If you realize nothing else and this alone, I ask you to understand this. Here's it. Here's what I have to say. Realize that there is no one to attain Nibbana. If you try to take you to Nibbana, that Nibbana will never happen. There is no one to attain Nibbana. There is no one who needs to do Nibbana. Nibbana is simply a state of mind. This is a state of mind. A state where Rupa is on its own. A state where Vedana is on its own. And the same goes. This is Rupa on its own. What you don't have here is Rupa being abused. Rupa being used for something that Rupa cannot help you achieve. How does Jati happen? Jati happens when the mind wishes to achieve a separation, right? we've talked about separation, when the mind wishes to feel an individualism, right? and as an individual, a separate, a separate being, 
what what does the mind have to do what does the mind have to work on to achieve that that's that sense what are the ingredients that the mind can work on you know if if say flour uh, sugar water are the ingredients that you can use to make a cake okay what are the ingredients that the mind can use to make itself feel that it is a being what are the ingredients these are the ingredients these are the ingredients but them alone is not enough you need ignorance and with ignorance you need attachment if them alone can help you achieve this sense of separation then you don't need ignorance do you ignorance is when these things are being abused what ignorance does is they use them inappropriately when rupa is used for what it was not brought into this world for when rupa is misused when when vedana is misused when sanya is misused that's when jati begins to happen if you misuse anything you know you're you're bound to suffer if you misuse this pen you're going to suffer if you misuse this fan you're going to suffer so you see this is 20% rupa sorry this is 20% arahant because this is rupa in this rupa you don't have ignorance meaning this rupa is not trying to be anything other than rupa see if you can understand what i'm trying to get across to you here this rupa is not trying to be anything other than rupa like this beetle leaf right it's not trying to be anything other than a beetle leaf is it do you see it trying to be something else no if you left it here come back an hour later it'll still be a beetle leaf now it might be wrinkled and so on but it'll still be a re- still be a beetle leaf this pen will always be a pen okay but rupa if you don't let rupa be as it is because of ignorance now you try to do something with rupa and when you try to do something with rupa now what happens is jati or dukkha or suffering samaditti is the view that the world is what inseparable yes so that is what we can say is anatta okay all driven by cause and effect we can say that is anicca and we have dukkha so anicca dukkha and anatta this is samaditti right so this this idea of dukkha is that Now hang in there okay I I know this is this is a bit heavy but if you hang in there you'll understand what I'm trying to get across to you here When you see this pen you see a pen and you see nothing other than a pen as I said many times over when you see this pen everything in this world everything else in this world is not this pen right and there's only one of these in this world meaning this has become a fixed object Here's a very subtle explanation of dukkha it is what you need to understand though so let i hope your merits will do what it needs to do right now what the buddha tries to explain when he says anicca dukkha anatta 
when he says dukkha in particular the reason that you see a fixed object here the reason that you see a pen here is because dukkha is happening right now that is dukkha ask any good buddhist what do you have to say about this pen and they'll tell you it's anicca dukkha anatta you know you've been chanting it you've been you know repeating it time and time again when he used to come for the meditation programs we remember right we give the interview sessions and the question and answer sessions and you would say yeah everything's anicca everything's dukkha and everything's anatta i need you now to begin to understand in more breadth and in more depth what you actually mean by dukkha remember this was a discovery by the buddha it was not einstein who discovered dukkha so it would be remiss of us just to think that ah i've got i've got, i understood dukkha it is a lot more subtle than what you might think it is on the surface it is a lot more subtle but you can all you can all get it you just need to hang in there if if i ask you is this nicca sukha atta or anicca dukkha anatta what would you say nicca sukha atta or anicca dukkha anatta through your understanding of the dhamma you would say what anicca dukkha anatta right i'm trying to explain to you why you should say that or at least why that is correct because i think you might understand the anicca part you might also understand the anatta part but you'll struggle with the dukkha part how is this dukkha this is a pen if dukkha happens in the mind why would you say that this is dukkha if dukkha is caused by attachment where is attachment in this so how is this dukkha here's what i'm trying to explain to you this is indeed a pen now we talked about an arrangement how we saw the murmurations and the birds and we discussed how it's simply an arrangement and not a fixed entity yeah but you couldn't help seeing those things that we listed on the board right when you watched the the video then you saw an ostrich and a turtle and so on right so when you saw those arrangements you couldn't help thinking that those things that you identified and we listed on the board were actually there that happened without even thinking about it you didn't have to force yourself to think in that, those terms you actually saw them there what dukkha is is that when you see a fixed entity out there that is dukkha the fixedness that you see i'm inventing words here i know <laughs> the fixedness that you see that is dukkha the problem here we have is dukkha has a, has has you know we've always heard this word dukkha previously right like if i said this is mother you wouldn't believe it would you because you already know what mother is this is the same problem we have with dukkha we've grown up thinking that dukkha is when you're hungry dukkha is when you're growing old dukkha is when you have a toothache dukkha is when you when someone breaks your heart we've grown up thinking that is what dukkha is and now when i ask you to redefine dukkha when i give you a different interpretation of dukkha you're struggling because you are you asking me the question where is dukkha in this this doesn't hurt me so where is dukkha i'm not talking about hurt i'm not talking about pain i'm talking about dukkha the buddha's definition of dukkha not yours what you might have grown up talking about as dukkha is not the real dukkha that is dukkha dukkha 
That is the dukkha or the suffering that comes because of dukkha. Those there's two. There's dukkha and there's dukkha dukkha. We are accustomed to this. This part. The dukkha that comes because of dukkha. This we only see through insight. An insight that we only get when we listen to the Buddha's teaching. This experience of dukkha, which is all the suffering that you've experienced in life, you know, the loss of a loved one, having to be with people you don't like, right? When money runs out, when time runs out, when fuel runs out, right? When things, bad things happen to you, when people abuse you, when people shout at you, blame you, scold you, right? All this experience of dukkha that you've had in the past, that is not the dukkha I'm talking about. If so, how would this be dukkha? I mean, to a person who likes this pen, this can't be dukkha then, can it? You could argue, I don't like blue pens, therefore it's dukkha. Well, okay, what about people who like blue pens? That now, you, now you, you know, that argument doesn't stand. So dukkha is not that. Dukkha is this fixedness that you might think is there in any entity, but it's not. So why does the Buddha talk about dukkha? What he says is, there are no fixed things out there. Okay? Now, I know I'm asking a lot of you right now to try and understand a very abstract idea. So you're thinking, what is he going on about? <laughs> I understand. Right? Early morning on a Saturday, what the heck is he going on about? <laughs> Hang in there, trust in your merits, and try and grasp what I'm trying to tell you here. Because this will free you this will open you up. It will open up your horizons. But I know this is tough, especially because I'm having to explain this in English. This is not a language that was invented to teach Buddhism. It was a language that was in invented to teach sensuality, business, commerce, the world. Not something to teach you how to exist from this world. That's the position we find ourselves in. But hey-ho. That's what we've got to do right now. You might ask the question, why, how is this Dukkha Swami answer? Because there is no pain in this. There's no grief in this. There's no agony in this. How might you call this Dukkha? Here's the thing. Buddha knows about you. Buddha knows that when you see a pen, you see a pen. He knows that you don't see an arrangement. So you ask the Buddha, Buddha, what is this? He tells you, it's not a pen. It's Dukkha. See if you can understand what I'm trying to say there. Because really what he's trying to say is there is a physical arrangement here of let's say the pure octet, the Zuddhastaka. Yeah? So this is an arrangement of the pure octet, fair enough. But we see something more than that, don't we? We see a fixed pen, an entity. This is an individual pen that is nothing else. That is not the pen that you see. Ah, oh, I, <laughs> I wish I could just implant this to you. But all I have is language to communicate this to you. I'll keep trying and you keep trying, okay? I show you this and you see a pen. So you go and ask the Buddha, Buddha, what is this? Buddha says, this is Dukkha. 
you say it's a pen. This is a very subtle thing. And I never thought I would, I would actually be talking about it right here, right now, but here we are. Now you've opened up, so I have to now explain this to you, somehow. <laughs> don't worry if you don't get it, okay? One day you will. You see a pen, but there is no pen here. What there is, because it's you observing it, there is Dukkha. Remember, you know, the Buddha preaches the Dhamma to someone who is not an Arahant. So that they can further their understanding about the world and achieve a state of Arahanthood. If the mind was simply this, mean, meaning the mind of an Arahant, where there is no ignorance, where there is no attachment, and there is no need to separate, they would see what this is for what it is. They would see this as it really is. They'd still see it the same way physically. They'll see the same image. If you asked an Arahant to draw what he saw on a piece of paper, he'll draw you this exactly. Just as you would. Okay? No difference there. But he understands something. What he understands is, people will see this as a pen, a fixed pen. That is not because this is a fixed pen. Do you get that part? You see this as a fixed pen, not because this is a fixed pen. In fact, there is no pen here. I know that sounds so absurd. I'm holding a pen in my hand and I'm saying there's no pen here. You know, if you just cut that bit out and put it online, they'll think, they'll say what? This monk has gone insane. <laughs> he doesn't even see a pen now. There is a pen here, but there is no pen here. What there is, when you observe it, and if you have ignorance in your mind, what there is, is Dukkha. That is what there is. Imagine if you had... Say, um, okay, right. <clears throat> if you had colored glasses on, Okay, I've used this example in the past, but I'm trying to get a different point across to you. If you wore colored glasses, right, say red colored glasses, and you looked at this pen, you'd say this is a pen and this was red. Now, I know blue and red might do something else, but just let's just imagine this, this was a plain color, right? And you'd say this is red. If you went and asked the Buddha, Buddha, is this red? What would the Buddha say? He'd say no. He'd tell you, you've got colored glasses on. Yeah? Now see if you can relate the analogy. If you ask the Buddha, is this a pen? He'll tell you, no, this is Dukkha. In other words, you are projecting a fixed entity to this arrangement. That is the pen that you see. Therefore, you can't call it a pen. That is not a pen. A pen is a physical arrangement. What you project onto this is not a pen. That is Dukkha. In other words, that is a fixedness. That's separation. That's individualization. That is what that is. 
That is why if you held this up, you could say this is anicca, this is dukkha, this is anatta. But please understand that when we say this is anicca, dukkha and anatta, what I'm not trying to say is that there is dukkha in here. Because then you'll, be, uh, you'll ask the question, well, no, this is not causing me any suffering. Put it to a side. You don't even have to carry it now. How is that dukkha? That is not the dukkha we're talking about. You, are, you can't help yourself from projecting a fixed entity here, can you? That is dukkha. So therefore, any object you see in this room, you could say, anicca dukkha anatta. Why is that dukkha and not a fixed pen? Now you come to an important part of the discussion. Why do I say that this is dukkha and it's not, it's not a pen? What, is, what evidence do I have? What, what proof do I have? Anicca and anatta. See, those two sat on either side, support the argument that this is dukkha. How so? Anicca is, the, is, is, is one word that describes cause and effect. All there is are causes that come together in a particular arrangement. That is the anicchaness. So I can't call it impermanence. That is, you know, we are worlds apart. <laughs> impermanence is only, a, you know, it's a characteristic of anicca, but it is not what anicca is. Cause and effect. Paticca samuppanna. It's a manifestation. That is because it's anicca. And also, it is, it is not something that can be separated. Inseparable. So if something is inseparable, and something is driven by cause and effect, how can this be a pen? This can't be a fixed object if, it is in, if things are inseparable, right? How can you have fixed things if the whole cosmos, if the whole world was inseparable? Remember the other day we had those green blocks? The building blocks, the Legos, right? I put it on the table and I said, like, how do we separate it now? If it's all the same color, you can't separate it because you don't know what the criteria is. I mean, immediately, if you, if you ignore all other characteristics like size and weight and so on, if you assume that they're all identical, right? Now, there is no way to separate it, right? This object is formed of things that cannot be separated. It is uniform. It cannot be separated. Therefore, anicca. It's all the same. Cannot be separated. There is no reasonable criteria to separate this. Like with the green blocks, I, you couldn't come up with a reasonable criteria because if they were identical, now of course I didn't bring identical blocks because I couldn't find any. But if I did, and I asked you now separate them, you'd have to come and ask me, so Aminahansa, on what grounds do I separate? But whereas if I had you know, green blocks and orange blocks and yellow blocks and red blocks. Now, do you need to ask me that extra question? I said, please, can you separate this? You know, you can do it on your own without asking me a question. Because to you, there'd be an obvious characteristic based on which you could separate it, right? Color. But if it's all the same color and no other characteristics were different from to each other, now how do you separate? You can't. It would be unreasonable. Whichever criteria you use would be a making of your own. It would not be an object or a characteristic of the object itself. So the same concept applies here. Remember the other day I said, what is the difference between this pen, the leaf and the space in between? What difference do you see? 
except for what you see through your eyes, there is no difference. In other words, here also you have the pure octet, in the, pen, uh, in the leaf also you have the pure octet, and in between, still the same. It's all the same stuff, just a different arrangement. Because the energy within, within, within that system is different. So it's simply matter and energy and you know, combinations thereof. That is the only difference. Other than that, there is no difference. That is why this can be made into this and this can be made into this and they both can be made into this. What am I pointing at? The space in between. Not you. The space in between. Yeah? That makes sense? Okay. So, anatta is the fact that it's all inseparable. If it, was, if it is inseparable, which it is, how can you say that this is a separate pen? If it's all inseparable, now carefully listen to this and try and come up with an answer. If it's all inseparable, you really wouldn't be able to hold a pen in your hand, would you? Meaning this is not a pen. See, I'm holding it, so it's not a pen then. Do you remember on one... In one of the singular sermons, I'm trying to bring example after example after example, trying to get, try to get this point across to you. I don't know whether I've opened a Pandora's box, but now I'm struggling to close it. <laughs> so, as it's open, let's just go along with it. Okay? Next week, I won't talk about this. How about that? Okay? <sighs> <laughs> These are the conversations I have with Swami Nuhansis. For whatever reason, I've opened it up today, and you're there sat in front of me. <laughs> okay? Right. Remember the other day in one of the singular sermons, I brought two wine glasses. If any of you were there, you were there. If not, then I'll tell you what we did. Into one I brought some ice and into the other I just had some, uh, you know, some warm water. What did we do afterwards? I took the warm water and poured it into the wine glass and then held the wine glass up and the first thing I said was, please don't cut this and put it on the internet. <laughs> huh? Because if, the Swami, if someone sees a Swami Nase holding a wine glass in his hand, right, that will be the end of all. <laughs> right? Besides the point. Right. So, we put the warm water into the eyes and then put, it, put them both back, so half of this into that, and then put them on the table. And towards the end of the sermon, I said, now what do you see in both glasses? At the beginning there was ice and there was water, but at the end there was what? Water and water. Then what I asked you to do was, can you kindly... Take the water that you put into the ice back into the original glass so that you only have the water that was the ice in that glass and the water that was in the original glass back into the original glass. And I challenged you to do that. And no one volunteered. Because, why? It's impossible. Because it's all water. Okay, so if it's all water, you can't separate one lot of water from another lot of water. Because it's all water. Now, if all Rupa is Rupa, okay, if all Rupa is Rupa, show me a pen. <laughs> I'm elated, that's why I'm, <laughs> I'm smiling. <laughs> Thank you. If all Rupa is Rupa, show me a pen. If all water is water, 
show me the water that came from that glass and show me the water that came from this glass. Separate it out for me if you can. You can't. So then show me a pen. But Swami Nas, you're holding a pen in your hand and you're saying, show me a pen. Exactly my point. This is not a pen that you see. This is Dukkha. There isn't a pen in my hand right now. This is merely an arrangement of Rupa. But because of Jati happening in your mind, you sense a pen here. You give it the wrong label. It's not a pen that is here. It's Dukkha. But you call it a pen. That is why we would say, this pen is Anicca, Dukkha and Anath. But truly, what we should really be saying is, this and this and this and this and this and everything is Anicca, Dukkha and Anatta. Remember the, remember, the Buddha preached the Dhamma to non-Arahants. The Buddha does not preach to an Arahant. Okay? So, whether you are an Arahant or not, Anicca, Dukkha and Aratta, these characteristics remain. So, after you become, I mean, otherwise the Buddha wouldn't have preached Dukkha after becoming the Buddha. If everything all of a sudden just stops being Dukkha after he becomes the Buddha. It's still Dukkha. But the thing is this. The Dhamma is medicine to an ailing mind. The Dhamma is the truth to a mind that has accepted falsehood. Although the pen is not real, Dukkha is. Because Dukkha has causes. Avidya, Sankara, Vijnana, Namarupa, Salayatana, Pasa, Vedana, Tanha, Upadana, Bhavajati. These are the causes which lead to Dukkha. Sankittena Panchupadana Kanda Dukkha, he says. Okay, so when Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vijnana are bound together as Upadana, right, in the formation of this pen, what is it called? Dukkha. See, Dukkha has causes. This pen has no causes. You see a pen because of your delusion. You project a pen that does not exist. In a two-dimensional sense, yes, a pen exists. And forever long, we will always call this a pen. Right? When you're here, as you leave here, we come back the next week, we'll still call this a pen. A pen is a pen is a pen. But in a three-dimensional sense, meaning we, we, we break the boundaries of existence and we start to look at the world through a different lens okay this is this is a, a new paradigm once we start to look at the world through that lens we begin to understand that actually what i see here is not a pen although i might call it a pen just like you call this a leaf just like you call this swaminance a robe a, a whiteboard a microphone and so on the reason that you feel that the microphone here exists there's a board here there's a pen here Right? And you've, you know, when you call this a pen, you actually you, you can't stop yourself from thinking that a pen actually exists here, right? I'm shaking like this to try and get the point across to you. <laughs> uh, that is because dukkha is happening right now. In that mind of yours, dukkha is happening. As a result, you see a pen here. So what you really see here is not a pen. What you see here is dukkha. Not here in my hand. 
what I'm saying is as I hold this in my hand, you see something that I'm not showing you. Think of it in those terms. You're seeing something that I'm not showing you. Like when you see magic. Yeah? Now you know that there's a logic to magic, isn't there? We call it magic because we don't see the logic. Right? But a magician is someone who understands the logic behind the magic. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to perform the magic trick. So when do you see magic? When you don't know the logic. But when you know the logic, now it's no longer magic. Yeah? In the same way, when you see this pen, if you don't understand Dukkha, you think this is a pen. But as you begin to understand the Dhamma, as ignorance begins to fade away, and in its place you have wisdom, you realize if all things are Anicca, and if all things are Anatta, in other words, if all things are causative, there's cause and effect always in play, and separation cannot happen, how can there be a pen? There can only be something that cannot be separated as well as something that is cause and effect driven, which is Dukkha. That is what you see. Right? You project those, those separations, you project. And once you project that, you, 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 you fail to see the cause and effect nature of it. You think that's an entity, a separate entity, just like you see this pen as a separate entity. But the, the very reason that you see this pen here is because Dukkha is happening right now. Where? Not in this pen. Right there. Right there. Why is that Dukkha and not the pen? Because the whole world is, is driven by the phenomenon of Anicca and Anatta. There cannot be a fixed pen here. It's impossible. It's impossible because Anicca is always there. The characteristic of Anicca overrules. The characteristic of Anatta overrules. So therefore, there cannot be a fixed pen. No matter how hard you try, there cannot be a fixed pen. But what is it you see then here? Ah, that is Dukkha. When there cannot be a pen, you see a pen. That is because of Dukkha. See, this is why stanza that comes in the Visuddhimagga. I'm trying to remember it now. If it comes back to me, I'll tell you. That's in the Visuddhimagga. Uh, where, where does it start? Thank you. Sabbe Sankara Anichati. Sabbe Sankara Dukkhati. Sabbe Dhamma Anattati. We talked about that one of those days, right? A few weeks back. Why the Buddha talks about the Dhamma being Anatta. He talks about Sankara being Anicca. He talks about Sankara being Dukkha. And why all of a sudden he says the Dhamma being Anatta. Right? Sabbe Sankara Anichati. Sabbe Sankara Dukkhati. Sabbe Dhamma Anattati. Uh, Yata panyaya pasati atanibhati dukko esamago visuddhya. See what he's saying there is through anicca, dukkha, and anatta, okay, yada panyaya pasati. Through your wisdom, you understand this. This understanding of this is wisdom, okay. Yada panyaya pasati atanibhindati dukko. Ata is thereupon. You free yourself from dukkha. You free yourself from dukkha. Esamaggo visuddhya. See, through your understanding of anicca, through your understanding of anatta, through your understanding of dukkha, so through your understanding of anicca, dukkha and anatta, you begin to realize the true nature. And when that happens, 
atan nimpintidi dukkho see when you begin to understand that this is all anicca right cause and effect this is all inseparable therefore what's going on when you see a pen is dukkha now you free yourself from dukkha all this while you played along with it you went along with it you were okay with it because you thought there was a pen here you didn't see a problem and when there's a pen here now a pen can break a pen can be lost someone can take it from you it can be destroyed it can fade away and all sorts of good things and bad things can happen to what the pen how can good things and bad things happen to something that does not exist of all the things that exist in this universe what proportion do you think we see hardly any right the visible spectrum is just a very tiny spectrum of all the radiation that exists so uv light infrared you know there are so many things out there we don't see it matters not whether we physically see it or not it matters not whether we actually smell it or not it matters not whether we can taste it or not or whether we can feel it or not that's just you know this body's construction is such that of everything there is a very small proportion of that we can sense i mean that's just a that's just the way it is now you know th- there will be people who can see things we can't see now we know there are animals who can hear things we can't hear but whether that is something we can see or cannot see can hear or cannot hear if it is something that exists if it is a, if it is something that exists in this universe it is something that is that is a result of cause and effect it is something that cannot be separated it is something that has the characteristic of dukkha in other words to an ignorant mind it will be interpreted as a fixed entity why so because it's ignorant in other words it does not understand anicca it does not understand anatta and therefore it sees it as sukha so now we can understand what is meant by nicca sukha and atta atta is the ability to separate nicca means it is not cause and effect driven it's just there it was always there it will be there it's here today right it it just came out of the blue it was just there not cause and effect driven if that is the case now you see that there's a fixed object there because of course you know if it was not driven by cause and effect if there are no causes that brought it together then of course it must you know it, ca- it has to be a fixed object right only things that have come together because of cause and effect can be an a non fixed entity otherwise it has to be a fixed entity is you know if you are someone what is where, where does god come from where is the origin of god you have no answer to that because he god didn't have a father he didn't have a mother he was just always there he was omnipresent and he was always present meaning he had no origin meaning he's always there because what doesn't have a beginning doesn't have an end yeah only things that have a beginning can have an end because what is a beginning it's when the causes come together what is an end when the causes disperse so anything that has a beginning is something whose causes have come together to manifest it whether you see it or you don't right and what is it what is something that ceases to exist it's that whose causes have dispersed and therefore it no longer manifests but either way an ignorant mind because all minds that went to the buddha in search of help were ignorant minds just like you and i and arahant didn't go to the buddha saying please help me 
because he had been helped he was helped he was done dusted job done but if you ask the arahant is the pen dukkha venerable sir he will say yes it is dukkha meaning it has the characteristic it's like wet paint like why do you have a board wet paint on paint not because the pain goes around getting on people's bodies right if you go to it then pain gets on you yeah that's why you have the board on there you don't have to run away from the paint <laughs> because the pain doesn't come after you but if you go and touch it if you go and sit on it then you're going to get it all over yourself that is the nature of wet paint the nature of all rupa is such rupa vedana sanya sankara vinyan ladies and gentlemen have no intention to hurt you they're not here to hurt they're simply here to do a job that is to mind itself they're here to arise give you information of what has just been seen and pass away like the news we talked about this but if you misuse it if you misunderstand its purpose if you think otherwise of it now you begin to misuse and abuse rupa thinking rupa is here to do more than what is here to do now what happens rupan rupattaya meaning what is atta again separation right so rupan rupa attaya meaning when there's a rupa that you misunderstand now you begin to try or attempt to separate that rupa why so sankatan abisankaranti to create this ab- sankata what sankata the sankata of jati dukkha this is what's going on here in your mind you can't help trying to separate this rupa from all other ruhi there's rupa here also but you don't see that as a pen i'm not talking about the physical seeing it i'm talking about the the internalization of this pen internally you see this pen as a separate object it's not just a physical side i i want i emphasize it time and time again right because i don't want you walking out saying there are no pens in this room yes there are there are three pens here okay what i want you to understand is although there is a physical arrangement here the reason that you see there's a fixed pen here is because rupan rupattaya sankatang abisankaranti how so there is rupa and in your minds there is ignorance that ignorance wants the mind to separate something and the moment i present this to you this arrangement this is all i present to you in fact i'm also holding this part here but you don't see me holding it i'm you only see me holding a pen because this arrangement has to be held up this arrangement i don't have to hold but it's still there what you do in your mind is you separate this arrangement from this arrangement and also this arrangement see these are just arrangements what you do is you separate them internally you separate them because in your mind you seek separation so this is a good excuse the change of color the change of shape it's a good excuse it's 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 good it's is play material for you these are the ingredients that your mind can make use of to separate it and then what you create in your own mind is a pen this is the sankata that is a product of abhisankara this pen does not exist here but in your mind it does that is why when i take this lid and put it on another pen you tell me that lid belongs on this pen and not that because of course when there is separation there is belonging we we can only talk about something belonging to something if we talk about separation right this is my child meaning that child is separate from every other child this is my car meaning this car is separate from every other car in other words it is separate from every other car that is why it can be my car it can be somebody else's car 
So anything that has a belonging has a separation. Anything that has a separation has a belonging. So now you see, wherever you have attachment to something, wherever you suffer because of something, wherever you, you feel that you know, a person or an object belongs to you, I need all of you, ladies and gentlemen, to bring your concentration, to bring your attention, to bring your awareness to this understanding. It's not the mind alone that's doing it. Your mind has been hijacked through ignorance. Now finally, what is the best medicine for ignorance? Wisdom. Wisdom is... Ignorance is like darkness. As darkness cannot exist where there is light. Once you shun the light, you don't have to do anything else to take away the darkness. In the same way, where there is wisdom, you don't have to do anything else to dispel the darkness, or to dispel, to dispel ignorance. So whenever you feel this way, whenever you feel grief or anger or frustration or annoyance, right, you will have these problems in your lives. Right? Your loved ones will pass away, ladies and gentlemen, I can't stop that. All I can stop is you suffering because of that. Your mothers will pass away, your fathers will die. Your husband will pass away, your, your brother-in-law will pass away, your sister will pass away, your children will pass away. Something either you will go or they will go. Your material possessions will pass away. They will perish. They may be lost. They may be destroyed. Due to the heat, due to the elements. I can't stop that from happening. But what I can do is I can help you understand the world as it really is. Thereby, with your understanding of anicca, dukkha and anatta, you begin to understand that all there is is simply cause and effect, nothing separated, right? and it's just an arrangement of things as they are in any given moment. If it's simply an arrangement of things in any given moment, who cares what arrangement they take? Who cares what arrangement they take? But it becomes a problem if you fix that arrangement and say, this is the arrangement that I want. Now you separate it. Once you do that, you got a problem. You mold things into, into, into shapes, you know, that is, what, that is what happens. You put them into a mold. This, is, this has become, you know, this, this fits into your mold of a leaf. That is how this, reaper, this rupa became a leaf to you. It fits in your mold of a leaf. That you, you, your projection of a leaf has, has made this a leaf to you. Again, I'm not talking about what you see through your eyes. I'm talking about how you sense it internally, the perception of it. Now, you know, that bridge, you're going to have to jump on your own. I keep on saying about this, right? This is not, I'm, I'm not talking about what you see through your eyes. Here. I'm talking about something you perceive. If you still don't understand what I mean by those two things, all I can do is continue to try and explain it to you, give examples, brief metaphors and similes and analogies. Unfortunately, I can't get you to see what I'm asking you to see. That has to happen on your own. They're everyone to their own merits. Okay? But I'll keep trying. You have to keep trying. Eventually it will happen to you. You will begin to understand what I'm trying to get across to you. If you don't today, it's alright. That's why I say, Nibbana is not something you've got to do. You just need to let it happen. Once you see what I'm asking you, what I'm trying to explain to you, perhaps on that day you can think, ah, Nibbana is beginning to happen for me. When you begin to understand. I, you can't come and ask me, Swami Nasa, have I understood? I can't answer that question. Because I tell you, there is a leaf, there isn't a leaf. 
You can't come and ask me, Swami Nasa, have I understood that? Because you will tell me what I've just said. Swami Nasa, there's a leaf, there isn't a leaf. Have I understood? How can I serve? <laughs> How can I answer that question? All I can try and do is express to you the, this understanding in the hope that you will realize it. And don't worry, you will. You'll all realize it. Because what a mind can do, another mind can do. There's no Swami Nuanse here trying to understand this who's got special powers or special privileges or anything like that. There are no lay individuals among you who are trying to understand. After all, at the end of the day, these are all minds trying to do the right thing. Okay? In my case, it was merits that has helped me to come this far. In your case, it's going to be merits because we are all both minds. If 1 plus 1 plus 1 equals 3 here, what does 1 plus 1 plus 1 equal there? The same thing. Makes no difference. If you were to think that Swami Nase can do it because he's a monk, we are not going to be able to do it because we are lay people, again you have separated. The very thing I'm asking you not to do, you are doing and using that now as a rod for your own back. Don't do that. Because there are no lay people among you, there is no monk here. What there is, is a mind that is either ignorant or that has wisdom. And if there is wisdom, it understands the nature of existence, the, nature, the, the truth. If there is ignorance, it doesn't. Simple as. And if it's ignorant, then there is suffering. If there is wisdom, then there is by that much a reduction of suffering. So, in hindsight, I don't know whether I should have opened up that topic <laughs> to, to talk about today. But I think, you know, when you're a smaller group, usually it's a, it's a good time to talk about these things. Because if it's a bigger group, then, you know, it's the resultant of everyone's merit. Right? I mean, sometimes if there are, say, young children in the audience, you know, I know if I start talking about this, they're going to be lost. So I have, uh, my, what, I, what I say will obvi obviously be driven partly by who's in the audience. Actually, not partly, maybe 75%, at least 50%. The other part will be what, you know, where I am and where you are. So it's that combination. But I think in a smaller group, when you are, it's easier to talk about these stories. One reason is because I can look at you and I can study whether you have understood what I'm trying to explain to you. Then I can come up with more examples. But if there are 100 people in the audience, now I can't read all your, all your facial expressions. It becomes impossible. So, there we go. Next time, bring someone with you. Then we don't have to talk about things like this. <laughs> all right, it's time. So, let's do a merit transfer and bring today's sermon to a close. Let us all take a moment then. To transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the noble triple gem, enchanting pirit, listening to the Dhamma, and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. Let us also transfer the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer these merits to Guru Swami Nuhansi as well as all the teachers resident at the monastery, the Anagarikas and the Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, 
be that by transliterating these talks, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them. And may by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plane, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane. May by the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees, friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who contributed to the construction of the monastery to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes and medicines, as well as those who passed on their know-how and continue to extend their well wishes. May by the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer the maids to our mothers, fathers, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, nephews and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us and assisted us along the way. By the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer the merits to the devas, brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sambuddha Sasana. Let us transfer merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may by the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer merits to our ancestors who have predeceased us and to all those who have been our families, friends and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey of Sansara and to those who have helped, supported and assisted us along the way. Let us transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who have sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation and may all those who lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe rejoice in the merits we have acquired today. Let us transfer the merits to all those who lost their lives in natural calamities such as tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, pandemics, forest fires, earthquakes and so on, reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey of sansara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them and may by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us all resolve that may through the power and blessings of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And finally, by the power of all the maids we have acquired throughout the day, you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become a Rahatan Nuhanse, an Arahat in this very life itself, and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem, be with you all. And the members of the Mahasangha will now transfer their blessings to you all. Raga Ginnidetnva Dvesha Ginnidetnva Moha Ginnidetnva Nibbana Parma Sukhayan Sukhita Tarvetnva Nibbana Parma Sukhayan 
सुखित तारोक सियलो सत्मयो निबान परम सुखयन सुखित तारिबान परम सुखयन सुखित तारिबान परम सुखयन सुखित तार राग गिनी देश गिनी मोह गिनी सप लबेवा निवान सप लबेवा निवान सप लबेवा तुम रोंगे सुविशानंत महागुण बलेन सिलोलोक सिल सत्योम निबान परमसुखेन सुखदतारवेत्वा साधु साधु साधु